want to welcome you again to New Life. My name is Kyle, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 128 today. As you turn there, I want to wish you, you men, you fathers, a happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Uh, I appreciate it. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Uh, Psalm 128 is where we'll be today. We've kicked off the summer series in the Psalms, and uh, James set that up really well. Thank you, brother. Uh, Jasper followed it up with a, uh, another good sermon uh, from the Psalms. Uh, his was on integrity. And, uh, and then today, we're in Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is called a song of ascents. A song of ascents. Not a, not a scent like what you smell, but a, a, an ascent like going up something. And the reason these Psalms are called a song, a song of ascents is that they're referring to the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem uh, during the feast, which God's people would have made. And so they would have, Jerusalem set on top of a mountain, that's where you would go for the feast. And so you would remind yourself of God's goodness, you would remind yourself of who God is, of how He works in a family, of why we serve the Lord, those kinds of things as you're going up through these songs by singing them to one another among the, the people that you were with. Um, it's also possible that these were used, likely used too, in uh, Israel's various returns from exile, that these would have been things they would have sung as they were returning to the Lord. And so in that way, you could view them as oftentimes songs of repentance, songs of reminder of the faithfulness of God and, and how we need to remain faithful to Him. And so uh, there's really no reason it can't be both, or that they wouldn't have been used in both instances. Uh, one final thing about the psalm, this psalm in particular, uh, it comes after uh, 127, obviously, which was written by Solomon, but we don't know the author of 128. But what we do know is that 128 is really an expansion of thoughts from 127. So it's possible that Solomon is the author of 128 also. Um, but it really doesn't matter for uh, what we're going through today. Uh, Psalm 128 is a psalm for families. It's a psalm for families. And here in this psalm, we are taught that the prosperity of our families, and I'll define what we mean by prosperity in a moment, or really as we go through this, but the prosperity of our families depends on the blessing of God. And we are shown how to obtain His blessing. So the prosperity of our families depends on the blessing of God. And in this psalm, we are shown how to obtain His blessing. If you're able, I'd ask that you stand as we read these six verses here in Psalm 128. Uh, when I finish reading, I'll say this is God's holy word, and you respond with, thanks be to God. All right? Thanks be to God. All right. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for you and then you can be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 128. 
We thank you for the truths that are here. Uh, but Lord, these truths will only be as good as the, the ink on this white paper if your Holy Spirit does not open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts uh, to grasp, to take hold of, and our minds to comprehend. So Lord, would you arrest our attention today with your word. Uh, Lord, that we might be strengthened to walk in your ways, that we might be men and women who fear you, uh, who live in reverence to you. Father, we are helpless without your spirit in these moments as we come to your word, and so we beg of you now to feed us from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's true that there is a common grace from God which is meant for all people to experience. There's a common grace from God which is meant for all people to experience. You might say there's a common blessedness. There's a common blessing. One example is from Scripture we read that it rains on the just and the unjust. This could mean uh, that bad things come to both the just and the unjust. It could also be taken that God supplies rain for the production of so much of what we depend on for both the just and the unjust. And so that would be one of his common graces. Marriage is another one. Marriage is enjoyed. Uh, when we say marriage, we mean between a man and a woman. God ordained it, marriage in that way is enjoyed, can be enjoyed by both the Christian and the non-Christian. They can enjoy marriage. A hearty ribeye, anybody like ribeyes, uh, grilled to perfection, which is medium or medium rare, of course. Uh, hitting the taste buds for the first time is a savory experience for almost anyone. The sights, the sounds, the smells of all that God has created and given us to enjoy are other examples of His common grace. I have been fortunate enough to see the Grand Canyon a couple of times in my life. The Grand Canyon is awe-inspiring. Uh, whether you're a Christian or a pagan, you find it amazing. Um, however, there exists a blessedness from God that remains only for His people whom He calls to Himself, those who will in return devote themselves to Him and to His ways. There is a special blessedness. It's an uncommon grace. It's a grace received by His people from His hand. And these people are truly blessed. And that's what the psalmist means to show us here in Psalm 128, is that there is a blessing reserved for those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. In other words, if you will align yourself with God, with His heart, by revering Him, by walking in His ways, then you will know His divine blessing in your life. You will know it. Psalm 128.1, I'll read it to you again. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. I think many of us may be aware of what the Bible means when it uses the word blessed. It means a happiness, but 
It's not just any happiness, it's a divinely inspired happiness. We might call it a divine blessing or a divine happiness. It is a happiness that can come only from the hand of God. In other words, it's to know the joy of the Lord intimately. It's to be acquainted with, deeply acquainted with, God's joy. And where, where, where do we find such divine happiness? Well, the psalmist is telling us that it's found in the fear of the Lord. And one way that I think about what the fear of the Lord means, one way we might say this is to say it's found in the shadow of the Almighty. And what do I mean by it's found in the shadow of the Almighty? I mean, you find blessing when you humble yourself before God, when you revere God, when you ascribe to His name all glory and honor, which is due only and rightly to the one true God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the Christian God. And you do this as you reverence God. This is where you find His divine blessing. Again, blessed is everyone who who fears the Lord. Say it with me, fears the Lord. Here's the Lord who walks in his ways. So to fear the Lord is to reverence the Lord. It's to ascribe to him all glory and honor. What do we mean when we see walk in his ways? What is the psalmist telling us? Well, walks in his ways intends to communicate the whole of one's life and behavior. It's everything about who you are. One way you might think of this is that your heart, which in Scripture, your heart is the center of all that you are. Your life, your being, your emotion, your your work, the heart is the center of all that you are. And so when the Bible talks about the heart of man, it's talking about everything that he is, the whole of the man. And so when we think about someone who's walking in his ways, we're thinking about someone whose heart is submitted to Christ. A heart that reveres the Lord above all else. This man is blessed. And you can see it. You can see that he reveres the Lord in the way that he lives, in the way that he behaves. It's not merely outward showing of there are those kinds of people, but I'm not talking about those kind of people today. I'm painting a picture for you today, uh, as the psalmist is here, of what it looks like to be this kind of man. This kind of man is seen in the way that he walks as one who reveres the Lord. It's noticed in all that he is. The blessed man is not merely one who fears the Lord, but he also walks in his ways. He trusts him enough to follow him. This means that he, he at the very least knows God's word. And I don't mean that you know every word, every dot and tittle, every every piece of it, you'll spend your life hopefully devoted to the Word of God, studying those things. But you, you love the Word of God. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You love God's Word. You love what He has to say. You're, you're attentive to it. And so you're seeking to align yourself with His Word. He, he knows what, God's command, what God commands of His people to do. And, and then He commits Himself to do it. Now again, we're talking about blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His ways. And then in verse 2, it's going to get into uh, specifically the man who is doing this. We know that because it says that his wife and his children, his work. 
But right now, the, the principle of fearing the Lord and walking in His ways and the blessedness that comes with, this applies to all people who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. You can know the divine blessing. But I would like to turn our attention to the kind of man that's being described here. With a, with a dogged masculinity, we might say, he pursues God and His ways above all else. He knows that divine blessing only exists for such a man and his family. And so he devotes himself to this life for his own good, for the good of those who are under his care, and for the glory of God. This is what drives him to wake up each morning. It's why he steps out of his house to go to work. It's why he steps into his home in the evening, returning from work to care for his family. It's why he doesn't check out. He's there. He's present because he knows that divine blessing is reserved for the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And for that man, his family will experience the same blessings. And so he sacrifices himself in this way that he might lead others cheerfully into the divine blessing. This blessing for those who fear the Lord is deeply rooted in Scripture and Christian history. I mean, we, I have not near the time to take you through so many passages that talk about this, but I tried to hit a few different places. Deuteronomy 8, Moses in Deuteronomy is giving what might be read as like a final address to the Israelites before they're to enter the promised land. He's not allowed to enter, but he's addressing them. He's telling them how they're to live, how they're to, uh, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to fear Him. This is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's already said so many things like this, but he sums it up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. He says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. How do you keep the commands of God? By walking in His ways and by fearing Him, reverencing Him, hiding yourself in the shadow of the Almighty, humbling yourself before Him, ascribing glory to Him and to Him alone. Now there are many, and again, I, I, I joked with my dad before, the service, I, I don't like a, a Father's Day message that, that beats you over the head. Like, I'm just not here for that. Um, there, there's enough of that. What we need is for men to catch a vision of what a rugged, godly Christianity looks like in the life of a man so that their home will be blessed, so that the church will be blessed, so that the community at large, the nation at large, will be blessed. But, but there are warnings in Scripture, in the wisdom literature especially, about the kind of man who looks to find his own way apart from the ways of God. And this is what Proverbs 14, 12 says. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but, in its, but its end is the way of death. Its end is the way to death. So there's a way in every man that seems right unto him, and he'll pursue that selfishly. But its way is the way to death. And so the wisdom literature, the law, into the Gospels, Christ himself, as I'm going to read in a moment, the letters of the New Testament, all of these things are reminding you what it's like to be a godly person who walks in the ways of the Lord so that you might receive divine blessing. All of Scripture is doing this. 
Jesus in John chapter 15 is really summing up the same things. He's, he's at the end of his time with his disciples. He's about to be arrested. And he says, they're, they're likely in the garden now where, where he will eventually be arrested. But he says this, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. One way to think about a fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, is to abide in His love. These things, Jesus goes on to say, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That may be the very best, succinct definition of the divine blessing that awaits those who will fear the Lord and walk in His ways. That you're that the joy of Christ himself will be in you and your joy might be full. And so as we continue reading, we see that the godly man is a man who fears the Lord. As We've seen that. Now as we continue reading, we see that the godly man, the man who fears the Lord, enjoys a flourishing home. Let's look at the psalmist's description of this divine blessing. Now he kind of, he fleshes it out for us. This is what the blessing looks like. In verse 2, he says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. You shall eat the fruit of your hands, the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Now let's think about for a moment the, the time period of this psalm, right? This is not written today. <laughs> in, in this day, and, and really this wasn't that long ago, even in our history, But in this day, a man planted his own food. A man gardened, a man hunted, a man fished, a man lived off the land that was given to him. He cultivated it. He worked it. He protected it just as he was designed to do. Genesis 2.15, as God creates the man, he puts him into the garden, and he says to Adam that he is to work it and keep it. This is central to the design of a man is that he's a worker and a keeper. He's a cultivator. He causes things to flourish. And he keeps them. He protects. He fights for. He's a provider and a protector. In many ways, we still do this to some extent, right? Our work might look different, but we're still providing. We're still cultivating. We're still working and keeping. The idea is the same. That you work and you keep all that God grants you, just like Adam was created to do. But here's the issue. Adam failed to do what God commanded him to do, and so he was told um, that the ground was going to be cursed because of him, and work was going to be cursed because of him, and it was told to him that he would now work by the sweat of his brow, that he would toil against thorns and thistles all the days of his life until he returns to dust. And in many ways, this is what work is for us, whether you sit in a cubicle and work all day, or you're out in a plant working all day, or you're gardening at home working all day, or whatever you're doing, work is kind of the same, right? You're toiling against proverbial thorns and thistles. Your work feels fruitless at times. Solomon in Ecclesiastes is going to say that it's vanity because it's just monotonous. It's over and over and over. A man works all the days of his life and then he returns to dust. All is vanity, he says. 
And we feel that, right? And some of you men in here are kind of nodding like, yeah. <laughs> you, you feel that as you check in to your nine to five each day. You're seven to three, seven to four, seven to seven, whatever you're working, you feel this. And so in many ways, we're still toiling against thorns and thistles until we return to dust. But the divine blessing that's being pronounced here in Psalm 128 for those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways is announcing to you that the curse of the fall is overcome for you. That the curse of the fall does not completely affect your work. That there is blessing in the work because all that you're committing your hands to do, you're committing to do unto the glory of God. You fear the Lord and you're walking in His ways, and so He is blessing your work. He is causing your hands to be fruitful, and so you're eating of the fruit of your labor. Though you battle these thorns and thistles all your days, your work is fruitful, not fruitless. That's one of the blessings that you see here for the man who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And so what this means is that it's good for you, absolutely. But if you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a man who's helping taking care of his community, that's not only good for you, it's good for all of those who are under your care or within your reach. You're affecting them also. And that's where the psalmist heads to next. In verse 3, he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Let's deal with this first phrase. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. There's two things in mind here. I'll get to those as we go through this. The wife of a godly man receives blessing also. She receives the divine blessing also. As he leads in producing, as he leads in fruitfulness, she follows and assists him. When God looked at the man in the garden, he said it's not, and and he's already given him the command to work and to keep. He looks at the man, he says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a what for him? A helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. And so a wife is to come alongside her husband and join in the mission of being fruitful and multiplying, of exercising dominion and subduing all that God created. A wife assists her husband in this. She follows him in this. He leads, she follows. He works, she assists. This doesn't mean that she doesn't have uh, responsibilities to take care of that are her own and that she's tending to. Absolutely she does. There are things Patricia does that I am absolutely not wired to do. And I don't mean cooking and cleaning. All right? Let's not reduce it to that. But let's also not paint over cooking and cleaning like they're bad things either. These are gifts from the Lord. And He's created a wife to be a a cultivator of her own, to nourish and cherish things so that they grow and flourish alongside her husband. And so together, working together, they bear much fruit. She becomes a fruitful vine within the house. Now, one way a wife is meant to be fruitful is how? She bears children. This is one way 
A woman is absolutely doing something, I don't care what the news says today, a man cannot do. She bears the fruit of children for him. And they raise them together. And these children are a tremendous blessing to the God-fearing husband and wife. Psalm 127 says of the man and his children, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so this is one way that the fruit of the womb, which is something only the woman can do alongside her husband, of course, the fruit of the womb becomes a heritage for the man. Children are like arrows in his hands. And blessed is the man, it says, who fills his quiver with them. He, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. They are a heritage. They're a testimony to the faithfulness and fruitfulness of God, the blessing, the divine blessing of the Lord. As he seeks to raise them the way God commands, they become a heritage. As he seeks to follow the Lord in all his ways, to revere him, his children are like arrows. How many of you know a crooked arrow is no good, right? If you've ever shot a bow and arrow of any type, you, like this, this was used to happen when you would make your own, right, as a kid. You, you would get um, a piece of wood that you found, a stick, really, that you found in the woods, and you'd bend that thing, you'd tie some string to it, and then you'd go find another stick, and because it's a lot of work to kind of knock the knots off of it, and, and really it's hard to find a straight one, you just kind of settle. But you end up with an arrow that kind of looks like this, right? It's got knots all over it. And you try to shoot that thing and it just falls at your feet. Like a crooked arrow is of no use to a man. You go to battle with a crooked arrow, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You can't shoot around corners with them. They don't fly that way. They don't work that way. And so a man who's not seeing to the raising of his children, a man who's not training his children for godliness, um, is really setting himself up to be defeated by his enemies later in life. He doesn't have the proper arrows for the battle. He won't win the war when the enemies are at the gate. And so his job is to cultivate and protect. Right? It's to grow things, to protect them. Listen to what Proverbs 31 says of the woman and her children. I love this. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Here's that word again, divinely happy. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And this is what he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. In verse 30, it says this of the woman, again, the husband's done talking, now we're back to uh, instructions for the, the godly woman here. It says, charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who hides herself under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, a, wo a woman who reveres the Lord, is to be praised. She's the one. In verse 31, it says, give her the fruit of her hands. Here we go with the vine again. She's a fruitful vine. And let her works praise her in the gates. 
In other words, this woman doesn't walk around saying, look at all the things that I've done. She's hidden herself under the shadow of the Almighty. She's not counted charm as something to be held on to. She knows that this is deceitful. She knows that beauty is in vain. You are beauty. Uh, you are beautiful in the way that the world counts beauty for just a short time of your life, right? I mean, aging is not pretty. It's just not. Things sag that didn't sag before. Wrinkles appear that weren't there before. And so as the world counts beauty, we start thinking, well, I need liposuction and I need uh, all kinds of different surgeries to take care of these things. And by the time I'm done, I'm going to look like a messed up Barbie doll, right? But you don't need those things because beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, that's the one we're to praise. But do you know who's under the most attack really in our culture from feminist is the kind of woman that the Bible says is worthy of praise. It's the kind of woman that the Bible says is worthy of praise. Feminism does not hold up this kind of woman. In fact, they want to end the work of a biblical woman. They want to demean her work, to ascribe to her something that the Bible says is deceitful and vain. The same is true of men. The kind of men that are being propped up here in Scripture, the kind of man that the Bible says is going to be divinely blessed by God, is not a man who fears the Lord. It's not a man who walks in his ways. It's a man who blazes his own trail, who paves his own path, who goes the way that no one else has gone before. And what we need is a return to a proper understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood as God has designed it. And men and women who will say, I'm submitting myself to that. But I digress. That's a different sermon altogether. So children are in mind here when we talk about the fruitfulness of a woman, as they should be. But this blessing is not limited to children only. God is not saying that if a woman does not have a child, she is not a fruitful vine. That is not what's being said here. It might be one of the ways, but that's not the only way. The God-fearing husband and wife will be fruitful in a myriad of ways. Namely, this is the thing here. This is what's being said here about the divine blessedness. The divine happiness, namely, they will, the husband and wife who fear the Lord, walking in his ways, they will spread the joy of the Lord into all the world as they fear him and walk in his ways. This is fruitfulness. And we know that because the psalmist also means here that your wife will be a bringer of joy like wine. He has in mind here the, the vine that produces wine, which is meant to bring joy. Often it's abused, and so it's not a joyful thing at all. But the way God intended wine to be used was to be a bringer of joy. And he's saying a woman under the care of a husband who is like this will be a bringer of joy for him like wine. She too knows the divine happiness of her husband, and so she shares it with all those who are around her. And the husband benefits also from this. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Again, following the instruction of God, the man is walking in God's ways. 
He's teaching his children. He's exemplifying the commands of God. I mentioned to you Deuteronomy 8 earlier about walking in the ways of the Lord, fearing him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, just a couple of chapters earlier, Moses says this. I'm going to read to you a a somewhat lengthy portion here because I think it's really important to what we're talking about. But he says this. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments. Do you see how it affects the next generation men? The way you fear the Lord, it says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, to the second and third generations, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is reverence. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. Again, that's the It's the the central locus of the man. This is everything that is. These words that I command you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These things shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, everywhere that you are, the word of the Lord is meant to be. And in every conversation, not not every, in everyday conversation, you can bring up the joy of the Lord, the love of the Lord with your children. And you're meant, especially fathers, you're meant to be leading in this way. The divine happiness of the man not only impacts his wife, it impacts their children also. And like olive shoots, his children are now full of energy and they're full of promise. There's lots that could be produced from them. How many of you know there's lots of destruction that can come from a child? Right? There's lots of blessing that can come from a child. The Lord blesses the man's children and his children's children when they fear him and walk in his ways. In verse 4, he of Psalm 128, he says this, he says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So it's just kind of a summary of everything that he said. And the last two verses are really a prayer, but let's summarize it real quick. Nothing suggests that happiness, divine happiness, is automatic. That's not what the psalmist is suggesting here. In fact, he's suggesting quite the opposite. And the rest of the wisdom literature would fill out how men who fear the Lord they work diligently. They love their, lot, their wife well. They faithfully train their children in godliness. And so this psalm paints the picture of the divine blessing that surrounds such a family. But it's not saying it's automatic. It's not saying that this is even easy work. It's saying this is the blessed work. This is the work of divine blessing. And so brothers, you are wired by God to be a worker and a keeper. You are wired by God to be fruitful for His name's sake and the good of all those under your care. You are wired by God to produce and to protect 
and to cultivate. And when you fear the Lord, He blesses you. He makes you more fruitful. You produce with higher quality. You protect with greater precision. And you cultivate with a deeper strength when you hide yourself under the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 5 and 6, again, we see a prayer. And what this tells us is that the godly man helps God's people prosper also. So the godly man is one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. That man sees fruitfulness in his home. And now we see that that same man and his home, which are being fruitful, now affect the people of God at large. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Here the psalmist prays that each member of God's house might know this divine happiness. He's just saying, may this happen. May the Lord bless you. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, of the people of God, all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. The psalmist prays that the man might see his children's children. That's incredible. I've not prayed this this prayer for my life yet, nor have I prayed it for anyone else. But what a thing to pray for. One of the uh, quotes that, that flies around and some of the, the things that I read is, is that uh, the difference between, one of the differences between a, a godly man who fears the Lord and a worldly man is that the godly man ought to be thinking about um, his grandchildren and his grandchildren's children, right? His great-grandchildren. And, and what they mean by this is that the godly man knows that his life now affects the trajectory of the family for generations. The worldly man doesn't know this, but you can rest assured the trajectory of his family is affected for generations by his worldliness. And so the the adverse is true, that the godly man who knows this and sees this works to cultivate and keep the kind of family that knows the divine blessing so that his children's children know the divine blessing. This is one way to think about our life. We get 50, 60, 70, 80 years if we're lucky, maybe a bit more. You don't know. Might be less. But each day is meant to be lived uh, understanding that life is short. There's a phrase for this, memento mori. Colby, I think you got it on your, on your arm, don't you? I saw it earlier. It's, it's meant to be lived with the understanding that life is brief. The brevity of life changes the way you wake up each day, the way you go to sleep the way you work for things during the day, the way you cultivate a relationship with your wife and your children, the community around you, that sort of thing. And so here what we're seeing is that the blessing, may you be blessed so that you know the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and so that peace be upon Israel. (laughs) And so he reveals to us one further benefit of the divine blessing. is that the blessedness that's on a man and his household is the same blessing that will benefit the whole of God's people, which is illustrated here using the words Jerusalem and Israel. Then, back then as this was written, they looked to the nation of Israel as God's people. 
Today, we look to the church, those who are of the faith. This is why Paul writes in Romans 4 that not all who are Israel, or not, well, that's Romans 10. He says, not all who are of Israel were Israel. In other words, just because you were born in Israel didn't mean you were part of it, but you became part of it by faith, which he talks about in Romans chapter 4 as he's mentioning Abraham and his faith, and this is what made him God's people. And so the divine happiness on the home affects the whole church also. Not just your local church, but the whole church. And so we might say, as the man goes, so goes his home. As the man goes, so goes his home. And as the home goes, so goes the church. This psalm reveals that a man's work, his wife, his children, and the church, all will prosper due to the fact that he, not they, fear the Lord. What, what grace and kindness of God are on display here. While God does visit the sins of the Father on the third and fourth generations, He shows incredible kindness to thousands of generations because of faithfulness to Him in this generation. That's one of the saddest things to read in Scriptures in Judges, chapters 1 and 2. The people had already... They had already rebelled against Deuteronomy and all that was commanded of them there to know the blessing of God, to know uh, His divine grace on them, to stay in that, to walk in that, and, and so they would prosper. They've already rebelled against that. And in Judges chapter 2, I believe it is, we read that uh, the people did not know the way of their fathers. And so they did all that their heart desired. In other words, they lost their way because the fathers lost their way. The fathers lost their way. And so it's true that God does visit the sins of the father on the third and fourth generations. But it's also true that he shows kindness to thousands of generations because of the faithfulness to him in this generation. And so the consequences of sin are ultimately exceeded by and eclipsed by grace. Grace toward those who follow God, who submit themselves to Him, who will repent of their sins and believe in Christ for their salvation. And so as the man, as the husband, the father lives by God's grace, a life in the fear of God, he can expect God's blessing to rest on his labor and on his wife and on his children. You might call this, as one translator or one scholar called it, the umbrella principle. One man holds the umbrella faithfully, and by God's grace, countless others are protected under the cover that it provides. But it doesn't stop there. As we read in these final two verses, a man who fears God, or as a man fears God, his children are blessed. And so, his wife is blessed, his children are blessed, and so the church, the people of God, likewise, are blessed. And so again, as goes the husband and the father, so go the children and the church. Last week in my devotion time, I read these words from David in First Chronicles. David is rallying the troops for yet another battle against those who are threatening God's people, threatening to devour them, to overrun them. 
rebelling against God. And this is what David says in 1 Chronicles 19.13. Chronicles he says, be strong. He's addressing the troops. He says, be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. I'll read it one more time, brothers. Be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Amen. Men, I urge you to fight the good fight, to compete, to finish the race well, to run strong, to not grow tired of doing the good work that God's granted to you. I urge you to join together here with other brothers and let us each, all of us, together endeavor to hide ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty God today. Let's resolve in our minds and in our hearts right now that we will fear Him only, that we will revere Him alone and that we will walk in His ways. Whatever that takes, whatever it demands of us, whatever it calls for, we're following Him so that we and those under our care and within this church community may enjoy God's divine happiness. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for these men. I thank you for the women here. I thank you, Lord, for the children that are in attendance today. God, would you help each one of us to fear you and to walk in your ways, that we might know the divine blessing of God. Help us to revere you, to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to you. Father, I do pray uh, a prayer for the men that are here, whether married or unmarried, whether uh, fathers or not. Lord, help them to do this. Strengthen them for this. Lord, whatever it takes, I pray that you would um, uh, take hold of their allegiance to you. Lord, that their heart would be aligned with yours only. That their desires would be your desires. That their hopes would be your hope. That their mission would be to take the divine blessing of God and shine it all around to those around us. That their wives would be fruitful, that their children would be fruitful, that the church, the cities, the nation at large would be fruitful because men have surrendered themselves to you and have chosen to follow your ways. God, everywhere we look, we're told that this is foolishness. That it's silly to entrust ourselves to a God we can't see. To a Lord who demands this of us. To a God who creates 
division among believers and unbelievers by his word. But Father, my prayer is that you would be found truthful and every man a liar. Help us to know you. Help us to trust you. Help us to hide ourselves under your shadow, almighty God. Lord, we need men who love the Lord, who see to it to work and to live for you, to cultivate and to protect for your glory. Lord, we trust you for that work. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray today. Amen. Amen.